From hey, welcome to the Armin Podcast. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Well, you know, weird. <laughs> we, Not weird what good is. Weird, weird indeed. How's the How's the COVID thing affected you? Um. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, we were just about to go on tour before it kicked in uh, about about a year ago. You know. Um, so yeah, not so that kind of affects everything really in, in, in our world because we've been working to that point, doing a record, moving into the touring stage a bit, and it just sort of uh sandbanked us all, you know. So yeah, yeah it's, it's not great. But I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, but how, how about the you know from, from the perspective of, of making the music and and kind of doing the, these kind of gigs i mean from, from your point of view do you think a lot of the bands i'm speaking to are sitting there going well are the audiences going to be the same when 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 this goes back to to sort of any kind of normality is it going to be a 2000 venue or is it going to be a 250 2000 venue type thing you know yeah i know what you mean and um the first gigs we're doing our festivals and i know they've cut the capacity down on for instance we're doing kendall calling festival at uh, the beginning of very beginning of august and they cut the capacity down for that and um and obviously that affects atmosphere and, and, and stuff but you know I'm, i think you know we'll ease back into it you know we're, we're quite capable of uh you know, as a musician, you know, I, throughout the year, I might do gigs to big festival audiences, but I might do gigs to 20 people doing some weird squiddly bonk music in the centre of Manchester, you know, so it doesn't really, you know, you just deal with the situation, you know, and deal with the people in front of you. Because it's all about communication at the end of the day and just getting getting the vibe across and, you know, that communion will be ramped up, I would imagine, once you get back to that idea of communion and what music's all about it. Um, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. And I'm a bit slightly apprehensive about it because it's like once it's removed from your life, it becomes kind of something you have to readjust to, you know. 
people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm a big, a big eight-way state advocate, and and um, you know what surprised me, um, just just because you know I came from the days of early rave music, early dance music, and yeah. you know I, I made records back in the day as well, and. And you know, we went out there at the time with our PA, and and um, you know, we had a couple of keyboards, like most of the rave bands. I'm not going to yeah. mention names, but but we had a couple of keyboards on stands that we stuck a middle lead in, but wasn't really plugged in. We used the dat tape. We danced about the stage. We used a couple of things, and you know, still to this day, that's the format for 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 a lot of EDM acts, mm. and. Um, and for, you know, for years went by and, you know, I never crossed paths with the elite state at all. But then one day I booked you guys to do a gig and you guys turned up and I was blown away. I mean, not, not just a little bit. I was blown away with the talent of what you guys and the sound that you guys had. It was like nothing I had ever seen. And I'm talking about a lot of fantastic EDM names, might have been great producers, what, but I'm talking about from what the show that they did to what I saw you guys did, I was blown away. I mean, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was amazing because you guys were, you know, you had a full drummer on stage, you know, you were playing uh, live instruments that had the whole thing. And when it, when and was it just, this? It was up and it, it wasn't a good gig. So you can't blame me for that because I never promoted the gig, but it was yeah. up in Dundee. It oh, right. In, okay. Yeah. yeah and you'll you remember the bad gig, but but, but 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 at the end of the day, it was a fantastic gig. And, the, 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 you know, it was a great stage in, in the sense of the music was absolutely incredible. Mm. And, um, and and like I say, and, and you know, fr fr from that, that perspective, um, you know, I, I don't, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I think you guys are incredibly underrated as far as, you know, when it comes to the major festivals, you know, you guys are suited to play anywhere. So, I mean, it's like, you should be on the main stage, all of them. But, uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, we, uh, we're doing Deck Mantle this year, which is a, is a great festival. We did it um, about five years ago, me and, a guy called Gerald did a special one-off performance at Deck Mantle, and it's su such a fabulous atmosphere there. Um, you know, it, it, well, because we've done so, because we've been doing it for 30 years, our boredom threshold has left somewhere back in the 90s, and we've been, <laughs> you know, trying to find ways of making it interesting to yeah. sustain it for 30 years. And yeah. you know, sometimes I think people are a little bit shocked by the um, uh, the, the sort of free jazz versions of <laughs> Pacific State, you know, and you yeah. know, they're, they're kind of their no. their boundaries are really stretched now, you know. But you know, if you've got an audience there, you're responding to an audience, aren't you? And um, we, we we really changed when we started touring America in the early nineties, you know, because they really demand the show. And like like you were saying about turning up, like when we were doing the raves early on, you literally turn up, did your two hits or your three hits? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a conveyor belt, wasn't it? You know, it's like oh, I'm next, and you know, you couldn't even speak <laughs> your hand in front of your face, and 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, you, you, you. I mean, how? Tell, let's go back to the beginning. I mean, how, how did it all start for you guys? I mean, from from the the perspective of because even even Pacific State. I mean, if you listen to that record now, obviously it stands the 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 the, the space of time, which is incredible because a lot of that music, you know, from that era, you know, it was quite dated because it was heavily synth based and the synth sound goes out of date or whatever, but that stuff that you guys did all managed to kind of live that that time period. But, I mean, quite a strange record because it's not your average melody for a... For me, it's almost kind of crossing the bridges of into ambient and almost crossing the bridges into jazz and it's almost crossing... You know, it's almost got all of those kind of flavours to it. So how, how did all of that come about? Well, I think it, there's uh, a lot of, as a, as a group of people, and we started off, off as three people, um, Martin owned a record shop, so he had an incredible knowledge of, you know, sp specific genres in music, and particularly dance music. Uh, and Gerald, a guy called Gerald, you know, who, who you know, was seeped in, things like jazz dancing and things, you know, the, 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 mm. uh, he's really, me and him had a common interest in fusion music, you know, we sort of like loved things like Weather Report and um, Return to Forever and things like that, you know, so that was synth-based music and what you could do with synth-based music. I mean, obviously we couldn't play like that, but we loved the textures of those records, like uh, the Herbie Hancock records and, you know, they, they created atmospheres and, and spaces in that music that we thought would fit really well into house music. So, you know, gradually we over-flavoured the, the curry, as it were. You know, we kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it stood out. And, but at the same time, you know, it was a British version of house music. So... Our arena was things like John Peel on Radio One. You know, he would play this strange hybrid, whereas, like, some of the record shops in Manchester were a bit snooty about um, British house music taking on its own um, direction, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's almost like whenever there's a movement, say, Acid House from Chicago, if you do something slightly different, it's kind of kicked out. Well, you take yeah. an album like New Build that we, our first album, it's mm. pure acid house, but it's kind of, you know, with a, a British mentality, it's odd time signatures and it's edited in weird ways and it's, it's, it, it operates texturally very different. And it, it's very comfortable with its own um, alien qualities, you know, because we listened to a lot of post-punk and left-field music, you know, that led that led to it, and those two areas seemed to me like a great marriage, you know, when you were out in the clubs and hearing this really alienated music for alienated people. That was when it hit home to me. I didn't really like the more traditional gospel-based house music. Um, that sounded yeah. like it came from. Uh, the same place as the blues and all that kind of thing. I mean, I understood it, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah sure. like Ten City, those records. I mean, they're brilliant, you know. But 
it wasn't me, but when I heard Acid House and its complete wonky alien character, it was something I could fly my, you know, I could unfurl my flag on that, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this is it. And, and then, and then, of course, the, the, you know, I mean, how, how amazing was it to be, you know, name yourself 808? I mean, you would have thought 303, but, but, but 808. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, that was that was quite lucky. <laughs> it's funny because we started off as State Eight Hundred Eight. Actually, that that was a, our, our title. But the artwork on the first cover was a bit ambiguous, and everyone just started saying it the other way around. You know, so it became by default um, Eight Hundred Eight State. Whereas we, yeah. So so how did it, how did it all how you know how did it begin then? I mean, so so there was the three of you, and 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 was it kind of like. You know, let's make a an album, or let's make a record. Or well, no, we were actually doing gigs. Um, you know, Gerald already was making his own tapes and sending them into the local radio. There was a show up in Manchester called um, Beat This, which was uh, an hour of street soul, an hour of house, and an hour of um, uh, like electro stuff. You know. And, you know, Gerald was already getting into Stu Allen's ribs with, with his music kind of thing. But we, we were like a hip-hop collective we, with MC Tunes. Uh, Gerald and Tunes were a group. The Spin Masters, Darren and Andrew, who were in 808 State by the end of that year, um, had an MC called MC Shine. We, we did hip-hop gigs around the place. But that equipment, the 808 and the 303 and the 101s and all the equipment that we had to make um, hip-hop music. Uh, we started doing acid jams at the end of the night and it's and it cleared the place, you know. <laughs> people, <laughs> hip-hop people really do like that, you know. Not, and, not, not. Uh, but we recorded those things, you know, and uh, people got into the tapes of it and we did early warehouse parties in Manchester. Um, and we were a really good support band to local um, acts because we could set up at the other end of the hall next to the mixing desk because our wires were sh short. <laughs> so we set up at the other end and we were the ideal support band. We didn't get in the way. We did music that didn't get in, in the way. It, but it was kind of known that this kind of music had a currency at that point. So we'd support people like the Inspiral Carpets and a certain ratio and, you know, bands of that calibre. And people gradually got used to the name. We did radio sessions in Manchester on the BBC. Uh, people were really open to this new technology music. And then we yeah. started doing all-nighters. And, you know, this was all within the year you know, the end of 87 into 88. And it just kicked off in 88, 89, you know, it was just, we were the right band in the right place. And we, it just felt like surfing a big wave for us. Um, I remember seeing a video, the, the, there was some video, I think it was you guys in Ibiza or something like that. Oh and yeah. It was, and, and it was a video that was going around 
at the time it was a VHS tape, you know, it was obviously not... Yeah, I think it's a film called A a Film About Chilling or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's got a farm in it from Liverpool. That's that's right, yeah, yeah. And and this was going around and, 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 you know, and and everyone would, you know, sit and and have a spliff and watch that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, they, I mean, so this kind of or, organically grew then, really. It kind of, it, 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 oh, very much so. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we didn't really feel like we were a band at the, at the beginning. You know, it was just a table of gear. It was very loose. We jammed it. We didn't have tunes at that point. You know, we didn't have. This is what tunes were good. We didn't have a set list. We just started and it, it was very improvised, you know. Yeah. Um, we might occasionally do something like Confusion by New Order because you could hold it in your head and we knew what the numbers were to program. And so it was, it was super loose until we started making records. And then, uh, you know, then it kind of shifted to trying to make albums. So ZTT were made aware of us because we did a thing called Snub TV, which was a tea time BBC Two programme. They yeah. came up and filled, filmed us uh, with MC tunes in the basement of Eastern Block Records. And uh, ZTT came up to find out more about us. And by that time, we'd put out this quadrostate uh, sort of short LP that had Pacific on it. And, uh, you know, gradually that that thing took about, you know, it existed in the clubs for about a year. Uh, but ZTT didn't know anything about that record, you know. So when they came up and found that we had this record shop, we had a radio show, uh, we had our own sort of T-shirt business, you know, we were a little cottage industry. And, like, you know, it was... Uh, we were very attractive to a lot of labels back then because of the whole um, thing that was going on in uh, Hacienda and clubs in Manchester, you know. So it was just perfect timing, you know. Did, did you play the Hacienda? Did we play it? Yeah. Um, we did a, like a PA thing, like you were saying, you know, like a short thing for a local radio thing there. That, I think that was the only time we played there. And uh, Gerald played there once. I did did the sound for him at the Hacienda when Voodoo Ray was just uh, um, peaking there, kind of thing, you know. So, and and we did we did some strange TV programs. Uh, Tony Wilson had a TV program in Manchester called uh, The Other Side of Midnight, and I think we were on that about uh, probably about three three times. Uh, local TV late at night and that was amazing kind of push for something that was so underground and, and only a few weeks old you know so no, I mean so, so you kind of had a bit of a hustle going on because you're doing the t-shirts you're doing the, the, the you have the record shop you've got all the yeah, other radio shows really important yeah yeah I mean so you've got your own media and everything I mean so how, how did that sort of transpire then into you know the thought process of you know, going from that to uh, like let's let's make this a, a you know a, a concentrated band thing. A real... Yeah. So when we got signed, ZTT came up and started talking. Um, you know, a deal, um, and so that's when we kind of had to uh, put our boots on and um, focus a little more. You know, 
And it, it did feel it was a big commitment, particularly for four of us at that point. Uh, Gerald had already sort of left to do, you know, he had Voodoo Ray was a hit by then. And, uh, you know, so he wasn't in the group at that point. And then, um, you know, we had to suddenly act like a band, you know. Yeah. Uh, because we were doing promo, take your photos, go on top of the pops and all that kind of thing, you know. So all of a sudden you had to sort of make the shape of a band because like that's the only way you would flow through the system. But you you watch those old top of the pops of like all those hits of people with two keyboards and how mm -hmm. they struggled to present um, <laughs> this new music. You know, it was a bit of a struggle, wasn't it? I remember the yeah. orb going on and playing chess. Remember that? <laughs> I did actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. And that, at least that was some sort of creative thought behind it, you know. But I remember like, there was there was this there was this guy at top of the pops, and um, I don't know whether he was like a dancer or he was he, he was some somebody there anyway, and he was always in the crowd and he was always there, mm. and uh, so I take it. The, the underprepared bands that turned up at Top of the Pops, they always used this guy to stand behind the keyboard and play. Oh, right, and, like a substitute, get him off the bed. As a substitute. <laughs> so I think this guy was part of, like, 19 bands or something. Right. <laughs> Top of the Pops, you know. <laughs> so it was just... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a really awkward stage of music because the, then, you know, we went from playing in the dark and like raves back then, there was no separation between bands and audience, particularly when you went to something like a Happy Mondays gig. Yeah. Like half the audience were on the stage and half the band were in the audience. You know, it was <laughs> confused. And it was the yeah. same for 808 state gigs. You know, it's like there was so many people on the stage and, and uh, that had nothing to do with the band a lot of the time. It was yeah. a, com a communion thing, you know, it was churchy almost, you know. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, once you'd had like some records on the radio, it became a different kind of, you know, you got a bit more of a mixed audience. And you would go in from, you know, 500 people to, you know, pretty soon. We did a concert in Manchester in... 1990 uh, with the Happy Mondays and it was like you know 12,000 people and that became the new standard a place called the GMEX and all the Man Manchester bands it was a badge of honour to conquer the GMEX and, and we did that quite quickly and but that you've got to raise your show a lot by to do you know that capacity and uh, also that audience was suddenly very young as well, because like you're selling uh, music, pop music. There's the rave thing, but all of a sudden once it's on radio and top of the pops, uh, you're, you're reaching a younger age group who couldn't go to the raves. They knew all about that culture, really wanted in on it. But if yeah. you put a, a gig on at eight o'clock, put a rave on at eight o'clock that under, you know, any age group. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's a lot of 14 to 16-year-olds in, in, in a building, you know. And yeah. that, that, that was really interesting, you know, because um, we realised that, you know, it had spread, like, that, that far. You know, you weren't just dealing with the, the nightclub crowd anymore. You know? 
No, 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 no. I, I remember doing a few myself. I did the Fantasia and um, uh, it was, I think it was 12,000 people there. And it was, it started, as you say, at like seven o'clock at night. And, and uh, you know, it was just pandemonium. It was absolute pandemonium. And just, just, you know, because you were getting normal punters turning up to, as you say, it wasn't the, the, the rave die. In fact, probably very few of them were there. You know, it was, um, yeah. it was, it was, it was just not ordinary people that wanted to sort of experience what that scene was like, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it turned, it turned a lot of people on to uh, what became in within a few years time, that super club experience really, isn't it? You know, we're like pretty soon, after that, within three or four years, you had those big clubs like Cream in Liverpool. Became a different thing, you know, became a different, um, became an, an industry at that point. And, uh, you know, played by different rules. But I think there was this sort of like initial eruption that was like nobody knew what the hell was going on and no one was an expert. And, you know, it wasn't tied down to all the things it got tied down to, you know. Uh, Mixmag became very important and, you know, certain publications began to document the, the thing. And yeah. I think a band like 808 State was, was actually so experimental that it could never really fit into these neat trellises, you know. Um, we, weren't a, we weren't particularly a DJ's favourite because, like, the records were far too uh, stuffed with ideas in a, in a way you know um quite often uh there's a few records that, that were big club records of ours well there was an awful lot of experiments that that got in the charts but didn't get on the dance floor you know and uh, how did you, we how did like you an album band you know we were kind of like one of the first album bands of that genre where uh, you were still thinking in a side a side b kind of format and that it was a listening experience uh, that you took you on a journey, that kind of thing. You know, like like albums always did when when I you know the albums I grew up with. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, you know, I, I, I just recently worked with um, Enigma and the, the, the German oh. band, and, and 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 very much their albums were. You had to listen to the whole thing, you know, yeah. and, and 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 I agree with you. I mean, that's. But I mean, how did you did, did you feel that there, there was a challenge then, or did you just not care? Was was or did you ever feel that you had to compromise and try and make or even remixes to try and suit the crowds, or did you feel like, nah, we're not going to bother with that. We're just going to concentrate on our own our own experimental sound or whatever it is. I mean, is that is that how you felt about uh, it? Yeah, there was a there was a, a a time we were on Tommy Boy Records in the United States, who, who were like a, a hip hop label, really, um, and they thought it was important to get uh, the tunes, the singles mixed for their clubs. So we had like various uh, American remixes for, particularly for the New York scene. And um, I, I wasn't very keen on them at the time, but having, we're actually putting a lot of that, uh, remastering a lot of that stuff now. 
and I can see it with different eyes now. We were very autonomous and very full of ourselves back then. And, and we remix very northern and tight as well, because we're like, we're not paying that for him to do that. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time we didn't have the, the like we could do it ourselves and save ourselves. You know, we were like that about videos as well. It's like, we're not paying that, you know. Um, so <laughs> if I could go back in a TARDIS, I would have been trying, I would have tried to be a bit more engaged with the world. You know, we were young and green and kind of um, trying to hang on to the um, self-empowerment that the rave thing gave to us. You know, all, all of a sudden we, we didn't feel like we could be talked to about what we did because because it was that new, you know, it was a, it was a new kind of music. So there was yeah. a freedom in that and we, we tried to protect that freedom. Well, I mean that's that's admirable. I mean, I mean, but I mean, from from the perspective of, you know, I mean, I've always been curious because there's less commerciality with with, with the certain acts that, if you take for example the Prodigy that came out and they did the, I mean, way back before any of the the, the major success that they, they were in the rave scene, they were doing their thing. They, yeah, they yeah, we played a lot with them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they had the kind of sound, but then they kind of flipped a little bit. And I don't know whether it was a deliberate flip or whether it was an accident, but yeah. they came out and then they suddenly went mainstream. Yeah. And and then it kind of felt like they, they deliberately tried to, you know, that way where you go to a studio, let's that that formula work, let's try and repeat that formula type thing. Yeah. And, and and I felt that 808 State have never done that. Yeah, well, that that's true. Uh, I mean, I can think it felt at times like we we were trying to adopt certain mindsets. You know, uh, once uh, we become a three piece, like uh, Martin left in 1991, and uh, it became me, Darren, and Andrew. And Darren and Andrew were very much out there uh, DJing, and they were. Um, you know, big room DJs kind of thing. You know, they were out all the time um, doing that job and therefore, you know, wanted to tailor the records much more into that kind of area. Um, but we, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of arm wrestling uh, on that album, Gorgeous. And then we... By the time we'd reached uh, the next one, Don Solaris, it was that time of drum and bass and trip hop and all kinds of uh, expansion of the palette of dance music. You know, it was, dance music wasn't... One thing. Uh... One thing, yeah. And certainly albums that sold well weren't a collection of 12 inches. You, no. know, it, you know, albums had to say something. They had to have a gravitas. And uh, I would say out of all the albums that we did, that Don Solaris is uh, my, my, the one I'm proud of uh, most because it, it covers so much ground. It's almost kind of got a spiritual quality to that record that um, yeah. the, was lived in. Uh, people say, well, why can't you just repeat that? And it's like, you couldn't repeat it because it was the people that we were that summer when we did it, <laughs> you know, it was kind of... 
imbued with um, the humanity of that journey that we're on. You know, people forget that with electronic music. You just think you can print it like wallpaper. Uh, to a certain extent, you can, but, you know, it's like that's not what we're striving for. You know, it's you're trying to set the bar quite high here and there with records that kind of meant something to people. And you're trying to hit that bar all the time, you know. Having so said that, you want to, if you want to look at my hard drive, there's like hundreds of hours of electronic music. But, you know, what you present, particularly once you have a history uh, like we do, uh, it becomes really selective and, and, and quite filtered. Um, you know, if you, if you put it under another name, it, you wouldn't feel that kind of weight, you know. Yeah. How frustrating is it for you, Graham, to, to you know, because, you know, I've experienced all, all parts of the industry. I mean, I've been in the industry, you know, now for, for quite some time. And uh, but in all parts of the industry, I've covered, I've co managed to cover all the parts of being, working with the labels, doing, being the producer, I've been an artist, I've been a DJ, I've done all the wee bits and pieces through the, yeah. through the years. But how frustrating is it for you now in, in in this current climate or or the past even five ten years yeah. with the way that the the music industry is now how do you, how, how how do you feel now you know you make something you know you make a, a nice product or a nice record or whatever how do you feel about it getting released and digital distribution and streaming and all this thing how, how do you feel about it all uh, I feel like it's a bit more oceanic now, you know, to to stand out. You know, people are releasing things every 10 minutes, therefore there's not so much of a fuss about releasing a record. You know, you kind of have to drip feed uh, a smaller audience, I think. You know, I think if you can uh, develop an audience of people that really care about... Um, the story of your music and and you could you know trying to hit wide and big like we did back then and yeah. i really don't see how that can happen again now for a band like us we have to um try you know i'm, I'm bal always balancing this thing of like you know we get a lot of offers to do nostalgic things you know yeah, and um, sometimes it's really hard to turn them down because you've still got to deal with economics of running a business, and um, but you're always wanting to push that edge, and pe people, um, I think, can pick up on that. And if you've got good people around you, like we had a, a really good agent uh, over the past five years who was really knew what we wanted you know we finally knew what we wanted and what we didn't want it uh, and we, we were heading in the right direction but unfortunately he died of covid this year so oh no th those those people are really super tuned in and special you know and it's uh, it's very much about it's still a people business music you know it's still about how you address people, those relationships. Um, and if you've got a history like ours, that's that's totally um, an asset 
you know, that we can go into places like the warehouse project in Manchester and people know the name, but they don't, like you say, they don't, they kind of expect a certain rave show and we go on and do that kind of quite um, human show and people are kind of like, Shocked by it, you know. It's quite, yeah. it's quite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was taken taken aback with 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 what you guys managed to 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 do. You know, I mean, and 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 you know, I've I've seen a lot of highly successful groups out there that that don't even have ten percent of the talent that you guys have got. But I mean, I just find that interesting. Your point of view on because you know you you guys are quite. Let's say you particularly because you really are currently the one carrying the flag for 808 state the most and 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 I, I mean you're quite artistic and creative and and you've got your thought processes and you kind of did it differently back in the day I mean the hip-hop thing um I mean I tell a story about when I was over in Miami and a, and a, a van pulled up and, and guys jumped out started rapping and thousands <laughs> of people uh, you know, gathered round and they were selling CDs out the van. Yeah, this was this was in recent times. This wasn't twenty years ago. This was mm. relatively. This was like three, four years ago. Yeah, and I was blown away at the, the guys' hustles. They, 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 yeah. you know, they were selling the music. They did the thing, and you know, you've obviously kind of cut, you know, covered that bit with Manchester with the radio, you know, the radio station, the shop, the t-shirts and things, but. I mean, if you were starting out today and and you were saying, so all the sort of students or people that are listening to this now, if you were starting out today with your creative mindset, with the kind of knowledge that you have, what, what would you what would you be advising kids to do? Well, you know, I know a lot of uh, musicians in my musical community, you know, I mean, A to eight state is a kind of vessel that where a lot of musicians have come through uh, and been in the band as musicians well all those musicians have got constantly spinning plates it is a cottage industry um where artists are in four or five different bands now and uh have four or five different sort of projects that they're selling um but we are reaching a point where with things like band camp and um you know, self-publishing, that, you know, this is very viable. We used to talk about this a lot when we were coming up through um, Acid House because that was a DIY movement. I'm old enough to come through the punk movement and we used to talk about DIY in the late 70s and put, we used to put out cassettes and, you know, that hustle is a long hustle, you know, yeah. um, of of avoiding the music industry and just get cracking on with it while the energy was there. Because like a lot of the time, your energy is the only thing that's going to carry that forward, not, not the energy from a, you look to record labels sometimes to, to put some energy in or provide some platform and open some doors, but often it doesn't, you know, often it, it drains your energy rather than, um, you know so your energy is the most precious thing uh a few years ago we we had the there's this band called sunrad you know sunrad the 
jazz band that's been going since the 1940s even right oh, the, the guy that leads this band they're from um, originally from Chicago the guy that's leading it now is 96 and uh, he, he came and stayed at, uh, we, we put him up at our house one weekend when they were between gigs. And uh, we ended up jamming and playing a guy called Marshall Allen. And, um, you know, he, he just summed it up perfectly. It said like, you know, music, I, I just, he just saw music as something that was health. Yeah, <laughs> actually psychological health. And that's why as a 96 year old, he's still, traveling the world, meeting people, just letting that thing flow. And that was a real inspiration for me, you know, it's, it's just to think like, yeah, why am I doing this? You know, why are you trying to sort of still hit those things, you know? And it certainly doesn't make sense any other way, really. You know, you've, you've got to really want to do it. And there's a lot of people dabbling, you know, because you, it's easy now to dabble with music on computers and things like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I guess if you're serious about it, you, you just you just need to protect that essential energy. And that applies to things like mixing, you know, like do, doing mixes uh, where you kind of got a mix from your gut and not just from a technical thing on the computer. And people read, you know, I get lost in that myself but ultimately yeah. you got to keep returning to yourself and returning to um uh being a transmitter of energy as well you know and that's that's what's been difficult about this year you know because you are cut off from yeah. that dialogue uh, yeah. of like you know I, I mean i think the challenges as well i i, I mean you know um, I mean, you must be in the same boat with, with the records that you made, but I mean, a, a few things uh, that have popped up to my, my sort of kind of spotlight is I put out a record, it's went to see Spotify, Spotify's, you know, whatever, it's like half a million downloads or half a million streams, I should say, yeah. and you get a check for like 25 quid. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you you know, I mean, how are you supposed to survive off that? You know, so 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 I think this is the kind of you know the the modern way, the synchronizations, the 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 you know the different way of looking at it from the past. You know, whereas the yeah. past was all about finding that record label who dealt with ninety percent of the stuff really you know the the marketing the distribution the the plug-in all of that the promotion all of those things whereas i think nowadays you've got to do it all by yourself kind of thing even to a point that i think the record labels that still exist are only really signing the ones that have done 90 percent of the work before they sign them you know it's kind of yeah you know i you mean know, so. yeah i think you know um all that work you do initially um, as you're entering into music, um, all that word of mouth stuff is what will carry the ripples of everything else. You know, it's so important to be in charge of what you're doing that way, you know, in charge of knowing why you're making the music because um, people can spot it a mile off if you're just changing all the time and, you know, trying to fit in. 
People yeah. don't want that. People want that assurance that you that you're sailing your own own ship. You know, and it applies to DJs. You know, it applies to that. Just having that confidence of uh, forming your style and being slightly different, but in the right place. You know, um, yeah. it takes courage. It, takes it, courage. Takes, it does take a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of hard work. That um, I'm thinking of some of my friends who are just beginning to get some success after, you know, 15 years of fiddling about in the music industry. And then all of a sudden it's, they're almost on the point of giving up. And that's when it clicks in place for them because all of a sudden they're back in touch with, I either do it my way or don't do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. all of a sudden it blooms. And instead like, that's, that's really important to remember that, you know, to be very um, in touch with the music you want to make, you know. So who, is, who, who are the influences for, for, for you and, and, and the rest of the guys then? I mean, I mean, apart from, I mean, you, you've mentioned obviously some genres and things, but I mean, yeah. who, who was influencing you? What, what, where, where was that coming from? Oh, well, I guess um, it's not an easy question to answer because there's so much music yeah. uh, that led to why we did house music in a different way. And it's a lot of um, genre listening, a, a lot of... Uh, for instance, we, we put out, we, we've been putting out some... Uh, remastered ZTT singles uh, at the moment. Uh, the back catalogue has been sold to Universal, you know, so it's gone from ownership to ownership to ownership. And <laughs> and the, the people who are uh, organising that music now, were, were some of them weren't born when that music was done. So it gets more and more tenuous. I'm, I'm kind of there curating with another guy you know, let, get getting this music through through the system and making sure it's in, done right and named right and all the tapes that have gone missing, you know, pulling it back in from the universe because it's amazing how many tapes go missing and no, how big, no. yeah. <laughs> Somebody, if no one's keeping their eye on the ball of curating stuff, and that's another thing I would tell young, young people is keep a copy of everything and then keep a copy of that. And then maybe another copy because it's amazing how it goes missing. It, yeah, oh no, 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 no. I, I, yeah, I so we were doing this uh, record we released today, and it's a tune called Lift that was from uh, an album in '91 called XL. And that music, the reason it's called Lift is it actually sounds like Muzak, you know, but the inspiration for that record would be a lot of uh, things like. Love Unlimited Orchestra, Barry White, yeah. uh, Love's Theme, and those big instru instrumentals with in positive keys with big melodies. Um, the people like Percy Faith would be doing in the 60s, you know, like easy listening, yeah. you know. It's yeah. got an easy listening import, but it's got a Chicago bounce underneath it. But it's just a little in a joke at that point in time, it's like, oh, this gives me that feeling. Oh, I'm going to reference this. No. You know what I mean? It's like, 
No, 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 totally. No, I'm very eclectic type, you know, but... But yeah, at the same okay. time, well, it certainly wasn't like this all set the dance floor on fire. It was just a little uh, amusement. But if you can get that on the back of some other success, and you know, people are really emotionally attached to it because it has an, a strong atmosphere, and I think that's always worked. When I was growing up and hearing like uh, um, instrumental stuff like The Shadows, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the 60s and, you know, like a band like The Shadows, who were kind of trying to do an American kind of music, but again, making it really British with their British sensibility. And then that meant so much to other people, like people like Dave Gilmore in Pink Floyd listened to The Shadows and then made Pink Floyd. You know, it's like these baton passing, tenuous emotional links are very important, you know, they're very important for keeping music alive. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's like that, drawn, drawn that line though, you know I mean? You mentioned Pink Floyd there and you think of Pink Floyd and you think, right, okay, well, uh, you know, Wish You Were Here and you think that that's a great record and blah, 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 or then you've got The Wall and that's another great record. And and then, you you know, you're going through the, the Pink Floyd thing, but there's not really with Pink Floyd, they have an instrumental sound that you could say, identify, that's definitely Pink Floyd. Even if you don't really love Pink Floyd or you're not a fan, you can still identify that's definitely Pink Floyd. But an 808 State have got that as well. But you've never, you've never crumbled to the commercial world at all. You've never went, I want to be having, you know, the biggest Ibiza song this summer. That's not... Never oh, right, that, that, that kind of commercial, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't know if we could do that. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure I don't you know, could. I don't sure know if could. it's avoidance or it's just <laughs> it's just that it won't come out of the fingers. I don't. I, I don't know. Um, and and yeah, if we if we went digging into the 808 state back catalogue, there will be some crimes back there. You know? We're not. No, no, there we're is. not pure. I mean, yeah. But, but this is the thing. I mean, if you take Cupid as an example, uh, Cubic, sorry. Uh, I mean, when that record came out, that was kind of like you know you had the first the first bar of that. That that is for me, yeah. Personally, that is the rave scene. That that song it signifies you know this is exactly what the rave scene is. But then you hear Pacific State, and it's like, well, that's not going to be the same group. No, no, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, I, I, like a, a record like Cubic is like, you know, it's probably, a, you know, some Black Sabbath in there from when I was 14 or whatever, you know, <laughs> coming to the surface accidentally that day, you know. It's very, yeah. it's very rock riff. It's very, but at the same time, we were probably chasing, there was a record called um, Acid Rock around about that time that was big in the clubs. Uh, on um, like an RNS record, a Belgian record, you know, and we were probably going like, oh, let's try something like that kind of thing. And then that came up, you know, so there's always something, there's a story behind each one. So what what, what about now? I mean, uh, you know, is, is, is making, I mean, I, I don't suppose you mentioned the albums kind of thing and, and, and everyone listened, but I mean, kind of album, 
is, is almost an old way of looking at presenting music now for a lot yeah. of the young, you know, so, but, but I mean, I'm with you. I, I still prefer an album than I would prefer or making an album. I still, I mean, I've got my recording studios up here and I still, to this day, will say, let's make an album for this or let's make an album for that, you know, yeah. and I still have that mentality. But I mean, is that how you think now as well? Are you yeah, I mean, we, the last album we put out was uh, Transmission Suite in 2018. And I was struggled to um, even whittle that down to a double album. So, so it's 14 <laughs> tracks. And you know it's on Spotify, but like the first three tracks, yeah. And then every and then it just dwindles off in terms of people getting down to the bottom. And that's it, terribly frustrating, you know, because like it's not necessarily put together with the best tracks up front. You know, it's kind of well, that's that's the annoying thing because yeah, if you've got annoying. if you've got the story, the story element to your album and you want yeah. people to listen from beginning to end. And Spotify throw in a shuffle that just kind of yeah. ruins it. It's all, a big you know? ask these days. It's a big ask to uh, get someone's attention for that amount of time. I understand that. Um, and, and I probably, you know, we're talking now about maybe just releasing tracks, you know, just three tracks, four tracks, that kind of thing, you know. And in so, fact, so Moving forward to, 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 to now's production, then, I mean, how, how, how are you going to go about? musically now i mean in in the sort of the vein i mean because it seems like you've went through the time period of the rave and then the jazz and then the this and all the yeah. the, 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 the hip-hop and like the, spinal tap yeah exactly so 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 what's 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 coming now then i mean what what are you working on now these days a lot of the time the big goal for me is to get a track that will fit in our live set that won't let the live set down. Because, you know, after 30 years, our live set is, is I wouldn't say it was bomb-proof, but it's pretty, you know, it's pretty robust. You know, you can um, play with it uh, as, as a shape and know how to peak it. And, you know, we spent a lot of time doing it and there's a reluctance to change it, but we always change it. Yeah. And um, if I can get a, a track into the live set, it, that would be a back of the net moment for me to add to that pile, you know. And, and a lot of the other time, it's kind of, uh, you know, I obviously still make music to, to kind of, uh, you know, I make music, different kinds of music, not just 808 State. But if it's 808 State, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to add to that body of work. So well, you I'd, feel I'd, like... I'd, I'd try and, if people go back and listen to that 2018 album, um, I think people, most people said that was almost a return to purer electronics. And that's probably because I've got a lot of other stuff out in my system in different ways, you know. So um, it was also a reaction to the kind of new music technology that was coming back. Uh, there was almost like a retro kind of return to uh, tabletop electronics with the whole kind of um, and 
out of the box kind of electronics, you know, so it's, it's, you're not just doing it in the computer, you're doing it with sequences, analog hardware, and you set a table up of gear and it's organic and it's, it's back to where we started almost like that jamming, you know, music. I think the, I think the big companies have, have helped with that because, yeah. you know, they, they started bringing out even the old, you know, the 808, excuse the pun but they brought out the 808 and they made it affordable so that you could buy the 808 boutique thing that cost yeah. 300 quid and yeah because like out... our, our uh, boutique expensive old gear which has been battered to hell i don't want to take that out really because it's it's, no, it's, a, it's not reliable because it's now 40 years old and it's been hammered you know if i can yeah. if you can get a small one that fits in me if I can go on EasyJet with, you know, with the lightest equipment in, in, you know, it might be not as good as the old equipment, but I can put it on EasyJet and not have a heart attack about it and yeah. turn up in Berlin and do a gig. You know, that's, that's great for me. You know, that's, that, uh, it really has opened things up, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I, I quite like that. I quite like that. I mean, I quite yeah. like the fact that, that, that they're saying, look, you know, that, that this is the gear that, it's really unaffordable. I mean, if you want an original 808, what you pay now, three and a half, four grand yeah. upwards. And, and that's just the drum machine. You know, if you want a, a 303, you're paying the same. And so to, for the company to come out and say, look, you know, here's here's many versions that are, yeah. you know, supposed to be the same, but, but you know, the, the, the kind of thing. But I think that's great. And I think that's helping music grow um because the, the kids are now getting a chance rather than just using the vsts they're getting the chance to actually get hands-on equipment which is what we all started with you know yeah and, and it's almost a, a re a re-evaluation of that music from 30 years ago as well of like oh that's how that was done kind of thing you know that kind of organic uh, uh on the fly kind of vibe you know yeah, I mean, so sometimes I didn't. I, I remember I had a Roland GD800, which had hundreds of buttons on it and hundreds of things. Oh, yeah. And I remember I created this sound in it one day, and it was a kind of baseline sound, and it was absolutely phenomenal. And I remember, <laughs> I know, I, no, I remember taking a picture. That's because that's what we had to do. Oh, right. <laughs> I took a picture of where all the dials were, yeah. and I was like, yeah. okay, that's it. I lost the picture. <laughs> In fact, studio, studios were like that. You know, the old studios, they had, like, photocopies of every piece of rack gear, and it yeah. was, like, the assistant's job to mark all the knobs on these sort of photocopies, and, <laughs> and you ended up with a file this thick of, like, if you wanted to go and reproduce that mix two days yeah. later, you had to pull all this stuff out. But now you just go save on the computer. It's like... Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so much easier. It's, it's so amazing much easier. Where, where we are with the technology now. It's just sort of like sometimes you have to step back and go like, yeah, it's brilliant. You know, it's so what, what, what for, for, for the kids that are out there that are interested in what you're using, Graham, what are you using as far as equipment's concerned these days? Uh, well, mostly it's I use Logic. Yeah. Um, but I do like to use a lot of out of the box stuff. So I've got our synthesizer collection. Uh, it's mostly from the early 90s and stuff. You know, we bought it when it was like rock bottom. I know people are sick of this conversation because like it, it doesn't help them. But um, 
But if you've got some tasty old analog, I'm going to use it over using the plugins. But having said that, I'm quite comfortable with a lot of the plugins as well. So, you know, so it's a hybrid of everything. You know, I'll, I'll throw anything at it, you know, and, you know, in terms of playing things as well. You know, we, we, we're, in Manchester, there's all these musicians, you know, and we like playing and we get together and we do that. And, you know, I might get people in doing, doing stuff, uh, percussionists and drummers and... There's a lot of talent in Manchester as well. I mean, Man Manchester. I think, it, I think it's everywhere. I think I think the you know young kids now just so that that they're different as musicians, but they're amazingly talented. But that isn't always the thing that counts, you know. It's like um, the spirit thing again, you know. I mean, I'm guessing I'm an old punk in a way. You know, we grew up not being able to play our instruments, but that wouldn't stop us. And there's there's a kind of uh, learnt, uh, self-taught thing that can be very valuable. For instance, uh, we we have a group and we play with some of these these amazing sort of young twenty-year-old people that have come out of music college and they like playing with me and me and my old mates because it's, it's it rubs up against them in a different way you know it it's kind of uh more intuitive and not just about the theory you know so yeah. um we feel really inadequate playing with them but i think it's a nice mix when you can do that i like mixing um you know, age groups and that kind of thing, you know. I think yes. we all learn off each other. Learn The energy mixing is really good, you know. So Manchester is great for that, yeah. But I think, I mean, I mean, I think it's everywhere now. Yeah. What would you think created that? I mean, uh, one of the guys, uh, Sudi, Sudi Naval. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm doing a couple of tunes with Sudi just now yeah. and 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 um, we're, we're talking a lot about Manchester and stuff like that, but I mean, what what do you think created that Manchester thing? Was it individual people that were kind of special in their own right, maybe had a lot of creative ideas, or was it particularly, you know, just I don't know the culture of of Manchester, or was it the individuals? What what what, what made Manchester? Because it was pretty special. I mean, it, it, yeah. you know. I mean, you mentioned cream, but cream never came to much, much later, and Liverpool never really had that that Manchester thing. Manchester really, and it wasn't just dance music either, because it wasn't just even the hacienda, because you had all the, you know, the other things, the Stone Roses and and the the whole kind of the Happy yeah. Mondays and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, so I mean, what 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 do you think? I, I think it's a lot of the time it's down to a kind of flow within the city. I think Manchester is changing a lot at the moment. It's becoming very, uh, uh, you know, the city centre has changed so much that it works differently. So the property is worth too much for interesting stuff to be going on. So where interesting stuff go is going on is pushed further out. So you, you find pockets of um, interesting music going on in some really rough areas of Manchester now. It's not in the city centre, which it always was when I was growing up. Well, that's because the city centre was knackered uh, in the 70s and 80s. So you could get away with 
um, making loads of racket. The, the city centre is full of uh, people buying expensive flats now, so noise is not as tolerated. So yeah. it, it moves out to places, rougher places like Cheaton Hill, and, uh, Salford and places. And uh, But you notice places like Leeds and Liverpool are really... Uh, blossoming at the moment you know they've got a real energy about those places because again they've got uh, uh, enough um, oxygen in terms of dead space almost you know to for, for those things to come together you know I think that's interesting that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it I mean because yeah. you know I mean what also I mean you know, when I go back to Manchester days of 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 that kind of spike, it, it wasn't just what I loved about Manchester at that time. It wasn't just the the music because there was a lot of clothing uh, brands yeah. and things that came out at that time. I mean, you you know, people, you know, there was I, I remember all kinds of names: Funky Junkie and Joe yeah. Blogs and this one and that one, and there were all these different Jeez. labels and. Yeah, and, and and I mean, so it wasn't just, I mean, it was just like a creative implosion in one place at one time. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, it spreads that kind of, um, I always call it self-empowerment because like, you know, a lot of the time people are waiting for permission to do things. And the rave thing was like, don't wait for that. You know, it's kind of, yeah. um, it was a real, uh, connected energy, you know, so clothes, because the nightclub thing blew up, clothes blew up, because of that, artwork blew up for for things, and um, all kinds of spin-off events, and, um, you know, it, it, just, it just, it just all came together, because one thing will, will trigger the next, and... Yeah, I mean, uh, even the breakdance scene before that, I mean, that, that was big in Manchester too, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, they, they... not for me, but, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but for certain other guys in the band. You know, I was saying about, Ger I know Gerald was really into, uh, he used to go to dance classes and things, but I remember, uh, you know, Andrew and Darren were brought up through that hip hop thing where it was all about lino and, um, dancing in 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 the street kind of thing street dancing well they also were doing a lot of youth club stuff and that 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 stuff was big in the youth clubs in manchester in the in the 80s yeah. so yeah there's uh yeah dan i'm trying to think where dance exists as a ex it probably does, you know but it's probably organized with like loads of grants and things now you know it's some there's a whole the thing with the arts now is like you know there's a thousand ways to sort of get into getting money from the arts funding bodies that actually shapes the culture it's not its own thing it's kind of a series of tick this box be this thing you know and it, it shapes what comes out the other end you know it's not coming from a raw place, you know. Yeah, um, it's, it's a, it, that's what I'm feeling in the, in this city now. That it's like uh, 
I mean, I'm a 60 year old bloke, so I'm, I'm not totally on the, you know, I can't, can't speak for the whole city and what's going on here, but you know, um, I'm just wondering what your 20 year olds are doing. You know, it's quite interesting in lockdown as well, because like their need to gather and socialize is very blatant. You know, they're sort of like, you know, the minute um, anything returns slightly to normal, it's gonna be, it could be a real renaissance, you know, for uh, people getting together and musical expression. And, you know, it could be a really exciting time this next, this next block. If yeah, I, I get right. that feeling. Yeah. I get that feeling. I, I get the feeling that that you know, as I, as I was saying to someone the other day, I get the feeling that it's either going to go that way, where it's going to be the best party in town, yeah, for a long time, or it's going to go into a very cautious. Yeah, the other the flip side of that coin is all this kind of you have to book. To go to the pub, it's like should we book to go to the pub? <laughs> kind of thing. It's been like, are you available in two weeks' time for a pint? Yeah. So it's like yeah. there's a bit of that going on that's a bit unnerving, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's it's just, but but I mean, talking about the gigs that you've got coming up, then I mean, what yeah. what. What's what's the story behind that? What's what's happening with with that now? Well, a lot of these gigs were left over from that we were supposed to do last year, and they've just been on hold. So um, we're kind of it's um, you know it's like starting the car up where we left it, you know. Yeah. Um, so we have a tour um, set up at the end of September uh, that runs into November. And uh, I think some people have had tickets for two years on that now, you know. So I mean, <laughs> wow. That's yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's complicated because you got promoters, you got agents, you got management, all that kind of thing, you know. So yeah. there's a lot of people in, invested their time and energy into d doing it, and now all of a sudden you've kind of uh, got a flick. I hope it's like riding a bike, but you know, this is the first time in my life I've not played for that amount of time, you know. Well, yeah. since I was 16 or whatever, you know, it's very unusual to stop. <laughs> and do you think, I mean, and, and, and I take it you, you, you know, as far as the gigs are concerned, then in September, have you got any kind of forum of guidelines to crowds or whatever for these gigs or? And... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I couldn't. I'm trusting in the promoter and um, you know the venues to be providing that information as we get closer to it. But at the moment, it does seem still quite a long way off. You know. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel. I think like the most dangerous bit for me is getting in a van with with my band. You know, <laughs> getting in a tin can with those guys is kind of like, you know, usually results in you know um, infections. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just the ordinary cold. Never mind that. So so yeah. I mean, so if you were given, I mean, you spent so much time. Um, and I thank you so much for, 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 for coming on. But if you were given a little pocket of magic um, of your experience of what you've picked up through the years of, you know, what, what would you 
tell someone what's the do's and don'ts that, that Graham has learned, <laughs> learned, you know, there must be some little magic trick that you've picked up saying, well, you know what, uh, that, that was maybe, you know, I had, had to work hard to gain that little trick there, but something. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, put me on the spot there. But um, I, I wouldn't, it's been tough at times. It's been really sort of, the, there are so many times where you think this is nuts. This is not a sensible thing to be doing, especially with a family around you, you know. Yeah. It's hard to kind of justify some of the, you know, choosing this as a path. Yeah. Um, and yet it's so rewarding when you get to be out in the world and around the world and connecting um on a different level with people about that magic stuff that is music. You know, it's like, I, I would definitely not change what we've been through, but I wouldn't say it was all sweetness and light. You know, there's, there's definitely tough things that went on in 808 State. But when we get to that point of like being lost in the music, it's always worthwhile. And even now, you know, I can think this year is probably the most time when you've questioned it the most of like, is it time to stop this nonsense? And, you know, it's it's not really possible, I don't think, at this stage of the game. You know, there's still, there's still those kind of, uh, you, know, you know you can reach that point. And it and it's about the exp uh, all that experience and all that kind of music that uh, that you that almost is like a folk tradition. There's not other people that can do it. You know, there's not other people that can deli deliver that music. You couldn't give it to somebody else and it be delivered in that way. You know, well, it, it is a, a almost like a folk tradition that's been. You know, it will die out when we die out. You know, so that. I'm not I'm not talking about house music I'm just talking about the 808 thing you know it's, it's yeah, yeah. and and I'm, I'm very protective over it and I'm very proud of it you know so and so you should be I mean 808 state absolute legend uh legend name and in, in, in the in the whole process of music yeah, you, you say that but there's it's, it's like generate every generation slips and slips and slips you know it's kind of like it means you can't assume it means anything to most people, you know. I'm gl I'm glad it means something to you, kind of thing. I'm glad well, it means I'm glad it means what it means to the people that it means stuff to. But I I, I could not, you know, as as time moves on, it, it it'll. Um, I don't know who keeps it um, in position. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think they will. I mean, I think this is what's happening now is the the kids that I'm noticing today are picking up on yesteryear's um, projects and 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 you know I've worked with a lot of artists and that have passed away and it's it's amazing. We talk about folk music. I worked with Hamish Imlach and 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 and, and when he died his folk music exploded. I mean, right. everyone went back on his records. And, 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 you know, at the time when he was living and in the studio, you would have said, well, 
you know, when he dies, the music will die with him. But that's not yeah. the case at all. It's not the case at all. I think I think you guys will go down along with your craft works and all the others that from from the different generations. And and I think it'll be, you know, I think it'll, you know, certainly from my perspective and, and my generation, but I think it'll go down as legendary music because I think you know, people will be working out how you guys came out with these things and how you did these things, and and yeah. and, and and I think no, I think it will carry a lot of weight. And uh, but but I was going to ask you one last question just before I go. Um, what's your goal? You said you know you're 60 years old now. You're you know you've, you're very precious about it and very proud of the 808 thing, which again you should be. But what's the goal now? Do you have one? Um. Yeah, there's still a lot of um, places that I'd like to take it, you know, in terms of sort of going and playing um, Australia, for instance, like we've never been to that part of the world or nor India, nor China or, you know, been South America a little bit. But, you know, these, you know, I'd like to get it to those places because it always makes sense, you know, particularly not being a language-based music. Uh, you know, it's not relying on language. It always works uh, and is re-read in a new way. And I, yeah, I like that exchange, you know. Of, you know yeah. I'd love to take it somewhere like India and play in some, you know, festival out, outdoors and, you know, there's all those new experiences to take that, you know, music, you try, you sit on the back of it and it takes you places like a horse, you know, it's like. That's exciting, that's exciting, that's, that's, yeah. that's exciting. Graham, we always finish with one, you know, a track of, of, of who we're talking with and um, I always give the, 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 the artist the, the choice of the track. We, we, we'll, we'll probably start with Pacific State, but we'll finish with what, what you want. So what, what would you like to play out on? Uh, let's do In Your Face. In Your Face. <laughs> Graham, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate it, man. It was amazing. Thank you. We'll be talking thank to you. You too, Graham. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. There are new forces in the world. A conflict between the generations. A powerful feeling that the American system is failing to deal with the real threats to life. The bomb, the pollution of air and water. Population explosion, mountain slums.
Jesus.